Hi, Scott and John here. Yeah, folks, the world is fast approaching the end game, and we are trying to expose the upcoming deception before time runs out. We want to make this a full-time goal, and we need your support to fight the satanic global elite. So here's how you can help. Subscribe to the new Bible Mysteries Premium Podcast to listen to every episode ad-free. Plus, get full access to our special guest interviews and special events, downloadable show notes, our Bible Mysteries monthly newsletter, and access to a new community forum. Sure. So just go to BibleMysteries.Supercast.com or you can click the uh, link in the show notes to get started today. Thanks again. Welcome to Bible Mysteries. You're listening to episode number 24, Coats of Skins. What if there are secrets in the Bible the world doesn't want you to know? Are you ready to take the red pill? And now, here are your hosts, Scott and Zena. Hello and welcome to Bible Mysteries Podcast, the show that allows you to take the red pill. Are you ready for the red pill, Zena? I am definitely ready for this red pill. <laughs> good. Well, I'm Scott Mitchell here with Zena, the Warrior Princess, and good morning to you. Good morning, guys. We are happy to be here mainly because we live in Texas and we just went through a power grid rolling blackout outage thing. Oh my goodness, <laughs> and like the water's out. Like, oh, I don't like this weather. I mean, it's, don't get me wrong, it's very gorgeous. I think it's stunning to look at, but I am over it now. I think I'm over it too. It makes me appreciate uh, the, the hot summers we have here. Yes! <laughs> I won't complain this time. <laughs> Well, I probably will complain, but <laughs> I'll try to remember what it was like when it was 19 I, degrees. Right, 19, <laughs> 2 degrees. I'm just like, nope. Somebody posted, uh, my my seven-day free trial for Alaska is over. You can have it back. Yes. <laughs> I'm like, I'm done. I don't want the subscription anymore. Thank you. I have a whole new respect for people that live in the north. So, yes, um, we do. Well, anyway, we are here to talk uh, about some more interesting Bible mysteries today. And we're going to take a little break from some of the more deep uh, conspiratorial things we've been talking about. Mm -hmm. We last spoke about the Masonic Order. And we will come back to dealing with some more things because the Satanic Global Elite does do some pretty awful things. And so we'll come back to trying our best to expose some of that for you. But today we're going to get into some more interesting, just fundamental Bible mysteries. And there's one that I truly love. It's called Coats of Skin is our episode title today. And we're going to go to the book of Genesis for this, because we've actually talked about this before in the past, Zena. You might remember us talking about when Adam and Eve sinned and God made them some clothing. Yes. And we find out he made them coats of skin. Mm -hmm. And so you can read that and you sort of think, oh, yeah, so he made them some clothes because they were naked. But there's more to it, and we're going to dig into that. There is. So stay tuned. <laughs> stay tuned. So we'll go to the book of Genesis, chapter 3, because that's where we read the account of Adam and Eve basically uh, um, confessing to what right? they did, owning up to what they did. And then it's God speaking to Adam in verse 17. And it says, Unto Adam he said, Because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife, and hast eaten of the tree, of which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for thy sake. And we could do a whole thing about the cursed ground. You mm -hmm. know? Uh, that curse was lifted after the days of Noah, but imagine trying to grow your food out of cursed ground. You know, for over a thousand years, that's what man had to do. That just sounds like me trying to keep my plants alive. <laughs> I, and I have the worst <laughs> luck with plants too. So so it said, Cursed is the ground for thy sake, and sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life. 
Thorns and thistles shall it bring forth to thee, and thou shalt eat the herb of the field. In other words, they used to be in a garden, so they could have just reached up and grabbed fruit. Mm -hmm. And they had every fruit they could have eaten but one, and they chose to eat the one. I know. Which was a picture of their disobedience. And then he says, in the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread, meaning he would have to labor to, to be, feed himself. Okay. In the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread, till thou return unto the ground. For out of it wast thou taken. For dust thou art, and unto dust thou shalt return. And sometimes you've ever seen, like maybe you've been to a funeral or watched on TV a funeral where they say ashes to ashes, dust to dust. Yes. They get that expression from here. You know? So what exactly does it, does that mean that we, I know that, um, God made Adam out of clay. Right. So we go back as clay. Is that kind of like what they're trying to interpret? It is. It's it's in a, in a in a more metaphorical way to talk about how the body essentially decays mm -hmm. and re reduces down to its components. Somebody once told me that we're like seventy five percent water. Yes. Our bodies are something like that. So if you could remove all the water, all that would be left would be like a little pile of minerals. Oh, you know, that's gross. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, because, uh, you know, whatever else we're composed of, carbon and sodium and mm -hmm. all that stuff. So I think uh, essentially your return to the to the components that you are. And, you know, we embalm and we do things with bodies when they're, when they're buried. But yes. ultimately the idea is they're going to decay to the point where there's nothing left but powder, mm -hmm. but dust. So that's, that's the idea. And it was essentially pointing out the, the fragility of man. And life, and if you think about it, you know, life is very fragile. Yes. But then we come to the really interesting focal part of our of our passage today. Adam called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living, and that's what Eve means, mother of all. And then he says, unto Adam also and to his wife did the Lord God make coats of skins and clothe them. Now notice it's plural skins. So it would mean that if you're going to make a coat, you need more than one animal because you get skin from an animal. So coats of skins, meaning there were several skins to knit together, sew together, whatever, to make a coat. Wow, so he sacrificed several lambs. That's what is implied because you read this and you think, oh yeah, they were, they were naked, they needed clothes, because mm -hmm. now they know that. But that Hebrew word is or for skins. Really? Yeah, it's. I'm probably saying it wrong because I don't know Hebrew. <laughs> it's probably something like horror, <laughs> you know. I, and it's truly they have all these these uh, sounds that I can barely make, you know. But it could be referring to your own skin, like the skin of a man, mm -hmm. or the height of an animal. Okay. And in this case, it's the height of an animal. So right off the bat, we know. Okay, in order to make a coat, an animal has to die. Yes. So hence you just use the word sacrifice. So you're dead on because an animal did sacrifice its life. And so the odd thing about it is why didn't God just make them coats of wool? Because the sheep that gives wool wouldn't have to die, right? Yeah. Or, or he could have grown uh, flax for linen or whatever the plant is that makes cotton. I think cotton, you get cotton mm -hmm. from cotton. But whatever you need fibers for to make, God could have done any of those things. He could have made polyester if he wanted to. Do you think the reason why he didn't do that is because he wanted to show them, like, because you decided to disobey me, this animal has to suffer for the sin you made? That's exactly right. And what's interesting is because it didn't come right out and say it just like that, which mm -hmm. would have been nice. Right. Your, your explanation was perfect. But the Bible doesn't let you just do that because we're taught by the Spirit. 
So we compare other verses, see. Okay. You know, and remember the whole reason why the Bible is difficult to understand is because God had to hide truth from Satan because he's smart. So a lot of things that took place, it, Satan would have gone, well, why is he doing that? Just yeah. like we might ask. Right. And then later on, it's like, oh, because, and we're going to find out <laughs> the picture of the lamb is very important. Mm -hmm. Now, looking at the word, that Hebrew word, or for skin, it's used in Exodus 22. So we can, when we look up a word and we read its definition in something like a concordance, that's fine. It's helpful. But I do believe in letting the Bible interpret the Bible. So what I use a concordance for mainly is to go look and see other places where that same Hebrew word was translated into English and read that verse and get a Bible definition, if that makes sense. You know, that what does is, make sense. What is God doing when he uses yeah, it? Yeah, like what is, what is he trying to say? Exactly. So Exodus chapter 22 uses that word in verse 26 when we read, If thou at all take thy neighbor's raiment to pledge, and raiment is an old word for clothing, Okay. And so it used to be that, you know, we didn't have a closet full of clothes. You know, you had one good set of clothes and it protected you from the elements. It was your bed to sleep in at night in some cases. You know, a cloak that you wore, that was your cover. Okay. You know, that kind of thing. So kind of like a robe. It, very a much, very much. And I don't know what they, t t it probably would have been called a robe, but they might have had other terms for it in different uh, cultures like a toga you think of the Greeks okay wearing a toga mm -hmm. and then there were other words I'm sure but essentially a cape maybe mm -hmm. you know and like a think, kimono exactly okay and and it was more of a multi-purpose thing because back then you know the world wasn't you didn't just go to Walmart and buy a jacket that's so true you know you had to have clothing and then that that be that served as your cover at night and whatever so if you had to make a pledge of something like, okay, I promise that you're going to loan me this sheep uh, to grow my own sheep or something, and I'm going to raise them until they can have babies, and then I get one of the babies and give you three, right? Mm -hmm. And it was maybe a way that you were sort of given, like, a loan okay, in a sense. Well, what was the collateral? I mean, the guy didn't have anything. Well, his coat, his raiment was collateral. And the thing is, oh. what if you took it from him and he didn't have it at night, see? So he says, if thou at all take thy neighbor's raiment to pledge... An, an oath, mm -hmm. thou shalt deliver it unto him by that by that the sun goeth down, for that is his that is his covering only. It is his raiment for his skin, wherein shall he sleep? And it shall come to pass when he crieth unto me that I will hear, for I am gracious. So he was directing the Israelites here under the law that if you took a man's coat for his pledge during the day, and his raiment would have been like I said, a cloak or coat or robe, whatever, you had to give it back to him at the end of the day, so he had a covering at night for sleeping. Well, that's good. I, I like that yeah. idea because... <laughs> Justice, you know. Right? Because there's no way they could have survived, especially in the weather we just had, <laughs> without a coat, sweater, or something. And it did get cold at night, you know. Mm -hmm. I mean, even in Israel, it was, a, you know, they had winter too. I mean, they had their times of the year too. You know, it wasn't like a tropical paradise, you know. So coats, uh, when it's, the word coat there is another Hebrew word, and it looks like it's kutonit or something like that. And it's a long shirt-like garment usually of linen. So think of it as like almost a, um, you know, back in those days, it would have been a tunic, I think we would call it today. Oh, those are very nice. Yeah, it seemed like a shirt, mm -hmm. but it went all the way down maybe to the knees or something. Like okay. That. And then generally it was worn under something else, the coat or the cloak or a belt or a girdle or something like that. Okay. Know? Okay. So coats of skin. So now we know the skin was hide. So we don't have to guess. It was an animal, yes. right? And it was a tunic, something that covered them 
sufficiently mm-hmm. so they had protection from the elements and, and modesty, you yes. know, right? So another word that uses that Hebrew word for coats is in Genesis 37. Again, looking for Bible definitions. And we come to the word kutonet, I think is how it was pronounced. <laughs> it says, now Israel loved Joseph more than all his children. Remember, Israel was a person before he was a nation. His first name was Jacob. Okay. And God changed his name to Israel. And probably a good thing because Jacob means a, che- a, thie- a cheater or a thief. I couldn't say the word. I was going to say a chief. <laughs> it's a cheater or a thief, right? And uh, Israel means blessed of God. Anytime a word ends in L, a name like Danielle, Michael, L is God. Yeah. So everybody whose name ends in E-L, like Gabrielle, you know, is, is female for Gabriel. Right. Yeah. Z now. <laughs> Z now. <laughs> well, you can't add L to Scott. It just doesn't work at all. <laughs> Scott L. <laughs> exactly, right? I don't know. The Zena is still a pretty cool name, even without the L. <laughs> it's the coolest name I know. <laughs> so Israel loved Joseph, um, his son, more than all his children, because he was the son of his old age, and he made him a coat of many colors. Now, you've heard of that, right? The coat of many colors? I have. Yeah, there's even a, a musical that's loosely based on the Bible called Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. You might have been in that in high school or something, you know, one of those. No? <laughs> anyway, it's, it's a play on this story of Joseph, and he, he, had the, um, he had this coat. But the coat was something that clothed him completely. Mm-hmm. And uh, what gave it the many colors, I'm not sure of. But it, it, we define some words to know that if God made them coats of skins, why, why couldn't he have made it out of wool or linen or something like we talked about before? So there was a reason for that, and that's what we're going to look into. So we have to back up to what happened before they sinned, which is in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 15. And the Lord God took the man and put him into the Garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. Would have been an easy gig instead of working to eat from the sweat of your brow, right? right? <laughs> And, uh, and the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it. Now, we know that's the story. That's the sin that they committed. They ate of the wrong tree and brought sin into the universe or to the, into the human condition. But the end of the statement was, You're not going to eat of it, for in the day thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die. Now, the word day is important. And in the next episode, we're going to talk about a day. Okay. That's a thousand years long. (laughs) But in this case, it's not a thousand years. And we're going to find out that because of that passage, and we'll go into more detail in the next episode, some people want to think that because Adam only lived to be 930 years old, only. I know, only. (laughs) That he didn't live a full day because he didn't live a thousand years. So he died in the day. But there was no reason for Adam to understand the day to be anything but a 24-hour day. Yeah. That's all he knew. He would have had no idea how long he was going to live, you know, and they weren't supposed to die at all. Yes. Man was originally created to live forever. So sin brings death. It wasn't that man was created to live a certain length of time and then die. That Mm -hmm. came about because of sin, right? They ate from that mysterious tree. The mysterious tree, that's right. So then we know something. He was supposed to die that day. So if they sinned, and they did, they should have died that day. Yes. But he didn't die that day. No. Because if you're going to die that day, why would somebody need to make you coats of skin? 
you know, you're about to be executed. Let me make you a coat. (laughs) Let me go sacrifice this lamb to execute you. Yeah, right. So that means what we're going to find out is something died in their place. It had to be. It doesn't say that. The way you worded it earlier was exactly Mm -hmm. right, but it doesn't say that. So we have to read through the scripture to find out why this happened. So we go to Genesis chapter 5. We're going to find some clues in the Bible as to why it's either one of two things. Did God lie and he really didn't mean they were going to die? Mm-hmm. Or did something die in Adam's place? Right? Dun, dun, dun. And gave up its skin. Verse 3. And Adam lived 130 years and begat a son in his own likeness after his image and called his name Seth. This would have been their third child or third son. Okay. Because Cain and Abel were the firstborns mm-hmm. and Cain killed Abel. I know. Right? And then he was banished. So they didn't have their son any longer, any other son. So they have a third son, Seth. And the days of Adam after he had begotten Seth were 800 years. And he begat sons and daughters. So those weren't the only three children they had. They had sons and daughters. And there could have been many, many of them, which if you're living 800 years, yeah. <laughs> you know, you've got a lot of time. We don't know that there was a time of, uh, of childbearing capability that ever ended for Eve. That's true. In their condition, the way they lived, it could simply be that they could bear children for hundreds of years. My goodness. Yeah. And their daughters the same way. So imagine the population explosion that could have created, you know. That's a lot. (laughs) That's a lot, right? So all the days that Adam lived were 930 years and he died. So there we go. He didn't die that day that they sinned. That's very clear because he lived 930 years. Mm -hmm. So either God lied or there's more to the story. Yes. Okay. So some rationalize that Adam died spiritually. Okay. Well, so he didn't really mean he was going to die physically. He was going to die spiritually. Well, I'm not so sure I agree with that. I've heard that all my life that, you know, everybody is spiritually dead until they get saved. Well, your spirit is something that in the Greek word is translated as it's pneuma. And it's spelled with a P. Mm -hmm. So pneuma like pneumonia. If you ever wondered why pneumonia is spelled with a P. Yeah, that always threw me off. And you don't pronounce it. It's because (laughs) it comes from the Greek word pneuma, which is translated in the New Testament as wind, breath, air, and spirit. So you think of like what we're familiar with is like a bicycle tire is a pneumatic tire mm-hmm. because it's filled with air. That's, that's a simple, basic understanding. And it's also an interesting picture, uh, like the bicycle tire is an interesting picture of the human body in a strange way because you have three parts to you. You are a body and a soul and a spirit. Yes. You're all three. And the soul and the spirit are different. They're even different Greek words. You know, they're different English words. Spirit is pneuma. Soul is suke. And we get our word psyche, psychological, psyched out. Okay. That's the same word, right? Mm-hmm. So the tire gives sort of an allegory. The, uh, the outer tire is the body. The inner tube is the soul. And the air that fills it is the spirit. So if you ever kind of wondered how that would work, that's how it works. That's a that's a very poor analogy on my part. <laughs> no, no, I think it's a great analogy. It really helps you understand exactly when they say Adam died spiritually. Yeah. So if he was spiritually dead, like the spirit was dead, so it had no power. It, it, there was no spirit or however you want to look at it. Mm-hmm. Well, that's a flat tire. Yeah. So if the spirit's dead, the body's dead. You can't ride that bike. No, you can't. (laughs) So I don't know I'd believe in the idea of spiritually dead. I believe in something that would 
consider to be like judicially dead. Like you could be under the law of felon and put in prison or not. Maybe you're getting away with it and you haven't been caught yet, but you're still a felon, right? Mm -hmm. Well, you're very much alive committing crimes. Yes. You know, you may be violating the law, but you're still, even if you were in prison, you're alive. You know, it may not be much of a life of freedom anymore. Right. But you did something and you're paying for it. So mm -hmm. the idea of spiritually dead, I'm not sure about. But judicially dead, I can see that. I can see that. We'll see if the Bible backs that up. So we go to the book of James, all the way in the New Testament there. And James chapter 2, and it's not going to use the word pneuma, the Greek word we were talking about. Well, actually it does, but it, the sentence is, for as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. But he compares it to the body being without the spirit is dead. So if you're spiritually dead, your body is dead. Yes. You know, you have assumed room temperature. Right. Mm -hmm. And and that's clear by this scripture. That's sort of the flat tire, if I can use the analogy again. Mm -hmm. So without a spirit, without air, you're not breathing. No. You have a dead body. So spiritually dead, maybe that's used as a metaphor for judicially dead by some people. And that's okay with me. But I don't know that I agree with its usage in this case because you're going to say, well, he, God meant that Adam would die spiritually. He was spiritually alive and then he spiritually died. Well, according to James, the body without the spirit is dead. So can you be alive with a dead spirit? That's, that's what they're implying when they say you're spiritually dead. Yeah. I'm not so sure that I buy that. Can you be alive with a dead spirit? Can you be alive with a dead body? Well, that would be a zombie. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> or a vampire or something. So I'm not so sure I get the, the idea in reverse. You mm -hmm. know? Ephesians chapter 2 tells me another thing that might be helpful. And we'll go to chapter 2, verse 1. Paul wrote these words. He says, and you hath he quickened, and that's like resurrected or made alive, in a judicial sense. You know, every saved person has been crucified, buried, and raised again in Christ because they're identified with him. Mm -hmm. But we haven't literally died and hanged on a cross. Yes. Or, and went into the lower parts of the earth and came up again in resurrection. So we're identified in it judicially. It's put to our account in a, in a legal sense, right? So quickened is the same word. It's like resurrected, made alive again. Well, does it, if it's made alive again, does he mean it was because your spirit was dead? He said, and you have the quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. Okay, so there's a death there. If we were dead, then there was, a, there was something that had to be made alive. But was it a dead spirit? He says, wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, Lucifer, mm -hmm. the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. So you that were dead in trespasses and sins were walking according to a spirit, the spirit that now works in the children of disobedience. So everybody that's disobedient to God has a spirit in them. It's very much alive. Okay. It's contrary to God, mm -hmm. but it's alive. It's the spirit that works in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past. In the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. So this spirit that is in us, that is a bad spirit, isn't dead at all. You could say it's spiritually dead if you want to, but it's actively causing us to do things through the lust of our flesh and fulfill the desires of the flesh. So it's an active spirit. 
Okay. Is it contrary to God? Yes. Is it rebellious and sinful? Yes. Is it dead? Doesn't look like it. No. That body is fulfilling things that the spirit desires, see. So being quickened means made alive, but what was dead in trespasses and sins? Was it the spirit or was it a judicial condition? So dead in trespasses and sins is a judicial condition. Let's see if we can bear that out. We'll go to another letter that Paul wrote in Colossians chapter 2. And he says in verse 13, And you being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. Well, it's good news about getting forgiveness of sins, right? Mm-hmm. Trespasses. But he described these Colossians who were very similar to the Ephesians in that they were Gentile people that came to know Christ. You know? Okay. So that's significant because a Gentile, remember we talked about Jews and Gentiles are different. Yes. And one of the main differences between them was circumcision. Jews were commanded by the law for the males to be circumcised on the eighth day as a baby. Gentiles didn't practice that, generally speaking. So when you referred to a distinction between the Jew and the Gentile, it was circumcision, uncircumcision. Okay. Gentile being uncircumcised. And so that term became almost a derogatory thing. Hence the word Gentile was translated as heathen. Yes. And, and heathen, and not that they were like a bunch of barbarians rooting and grunting <laughs> in a cave, you know. They could have been very sophisticated people, but mm-hmm. they spoke a different language. They had a different culture, and they worshipped gods. Not the God of heaven and earth that Israel knew. Now, we've seen over and over again that Israel turned and rebelled against God and did the same thing. Yes. But they had access to God. They had the law that God gave them. They saw the sacrifices they were supposed to offer, mm-hmm. which we'll come back to that when we're talking about sacrifices because you've already opened that door that we're going to go through here. Gentiles then are uncircumcised, and as a result of that, they couldn't bring a sacrifice. Hi, we hope you're enjoying the podcast, but I want to take a moment to remind you of something very important. There are secrets in the Bible the world doesn't want you to know. And the world is fast approaching the end game, and we want to expose the coming deception before time runs out. Freedom of speech is under attack, and evil elements within governments and multinational corporations are trying to prevent you from learning the truth. Scott and I are being censored by social media platforms as we speak. This is true, so you can help us use the satanic global elite's own tools against them. Subscribe to Bible Mysteries Premium Podcast so the controlled media can't shut us down. We can use our own platforms to help expose them and keep you informed. But to do that, we need your support. Help us to go full-time with Bible Mysteries. Just $7 a month gives you every current episode ad-free without these annoying appeals. You also get full access to our special guest interviews and special events, downloadable show notes, our Bible Mysteries monthly newsletter, and access to the community forum where we answer your questions. Just go to BibleMysteries.Supercast.com to help us stop the assault on Christianity and free speech. And don't forget, you can always donate any amount to support us at utbnow.com. These gifts are tax deductible. Thanks again, and here's the show. In order to participate in like the Passover feast or to bring the sacrifice, you had to be circumcised. So Gentiles, when you think about like Israel coming out of Egypt, they were in bondage for 400 years, God delivered them. 
Well, it wasn't just Israel that left Egypt. There were some Egyptians that came out too. Because they saw the power of God in all those plagues. Mm -hmm. And they said, hey, I want in on this action. I'm not so sure I want to stay with this heathen group like that. Well, in order for them to sojourn or travel and live among the Jews, they had to be circumcised. Ooh, ouch. Yep. For an adult male, that was a little more complicated. I bet. Oh. Not that it wasn't cruel for a baby at eight days old, you know. I know. But uh, so in doing so, though, it was show it demonstrated their willingness to adopt that faith, right? Because that was a big commitment. That's a huge commitment. <laughs> so by doing so, they could then participate, and they would have done so because they wanted to have access to forgiveness of sins, mm-hmm. to bring the sacrifice that was required for remission, right? So they would do that. Well, if they weren't a part of that system, and very few were, you know, you think about the majority of the Gentile world was not sojourning with Israel mm-hmm. and participating in their covenant promises. They were out there worshiping the other gods. So they had no hope. They were without God in the world unless they came to him through another mechanism. And if it was supposed to be through Israel and they had a priesthood for the sacrifices and they failed to do yeah. what they were supposed to do, then what hope did a Gentile have? That's true. He had no hope until Christ came. Okay. So that's why he says, you being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him. They were very much alive. The body without the spirit is dead. So they were living and breathing and they were committing idolatrous practices mm-hmm. up to the point where they learned about Christ, which gave them hope. When they were doing these idolatrous practices, they were walking according to the course of this world, the spirit that now works in the children of disobedience. So being quickened uh, from being dead in trespasses and sins is not really a spiritual death or a dead spirit. It's a judicial condition. You had no access to God. Now you do. Okay. And because of that, you can now receive forgiveness instead of through Israel and priesthood sacrifices. It's going to be through the sacrifice of the Lamb of God, which brings us back around to these coats of skins, <laughs> right? So Romans chapter 7, just to amplify the thing about the law and this judicial condition, we read in verse 6, now we are delivered from the law in Christ. And he saw at the law of Moses, you know, thou shalt not, that being dead wherein we were held, that we should serve in newness of spirit and not in the oldness of the letter, the letter being the law. Okay. So if you were delivered from the law and it was bondage, you were dead in the law because the law tells you what sin is and the wages of sin is death. Well, you were still living, transgressing the law. So you were very much alive and your spirit was alive in you actively breaking that law. Okay. But you were judicially dead because you were in a condition of death, which is exactly what we were just reading about. No access to God, no hope. You know, that's how they were. That makes so much more sense. Doesn't it? So it makes more sense than saying spiritually dead. I'm not criticizing people that use that term, but I just think it's inaccurate. I think to be accurate, we don't want to describe somebody as being spiritually dead when in fact it's a judicial condition, not a physiological psychic condition, right? Yeah. If that makes sense. So would Adam have understood he was spiritually dead? I don't think so. No. I don't think that would have been his... Uh, understanding if you were taught if you know if your mom tells you and we're not going to try to equate Adam being created as a five-year-old okay but maybe his mentality was something like a Mm five-year-old because he hadn't experienced the world yet 
No. So you, if you were, if your mom was telling you at five years old, Zena, don't touch that stove burner. <laughs> if you do, <laughs> you're going to get burned. Right? Mm-hmm. And of course, the little five-year-old kid goes <laughs> and reaches. Literally me. <laughs> okay. And, and she didn't say, oh, I meant you would be burned spiritually. <laughs> you You're know? like, <laughs> I'm literally this? burning on my hand. <laughs> what is this horrible wound on my finger, right? <laughs> so I think Adam would have understood death to mean death. Yes. A physical death. So we go to Genesis chapter 4 again, and let's see what he understood in verse 1. So it says, and Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bare Cain and said, I've gotten a man from the Lord. And she again bare his brother Abel. The indication seems to be they may have been twins. Okay. Cain was first, Abel was next. And Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And what did we learn about the ground in Adam's day? He would have to eat from the sweat of his brow, and they, he said, curse it. Yes, the ground was didn't really grow much of anything. It was cursed. So Cain tills cursed ground, right? And in process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering to the Lord. His offering was a curse, mm-hmm. when you think about it. And Abel, he also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of the fat thereof, which means a lamb, yes, a sacrifice. And the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering, but unto Cain and to his offering, he had not respect. Well, now you know why. Two things. Number one, Cain's offering was cursed. Yes. Number two, where did Abel ever get the idea to bring a lamb anyway? He's the son of Adam. So don't you think maybe Adam would have taught him? Yes. And if Adam taught him to do that, where did Adam learn it from? He learned it from seeing it himself. That's right. And when did he see it, right? Whenever he had to be clothed. Exactly. So it it does not say, and God sacrificed a lamb and made coats of skins. Mm -hmm. But we glean from this that that's exactly what he did. Yeah. And even more importantly, the sacrifice itself that would have taken place would have been done according to God's requirements. Mm -hmm. And we're going to find out in just a moment that one of the requirements was blood. So when God did the sacrifice, he would have gone through the entire ritual to show them what to do from now on. Yes. It would have been required as a necessary thing to repeat every so often. Mm -hmm. Okay. So Abel learned from his father and Cain should have known better, but he chose not to do it. You know, he was angry and instead of correcting his way, he killed his brother. I know, a terrible person. <laughs> yes, well, and the Bible even says he was of that wicked one, so it goes even deeper than that because Satan had a hold of him, you know. But in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 19, For when Moses had spoken every precept to all the people according to the law, he took the blood of calves and of goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop, which was a plant, and uh, sprinkled both the book and all the people, the book of the law saying, this is the blood of the testament which God hath enjoined unto you. God basically said, here, this is your commitment. You have to keep this enjoined, joining together. It's like when you, man and wife, they make a vow. Yes. It's a contract. Okay. Right? Okay. So God hath enjoined unto you. Moreover, he sprinkled with blood both the tabernacle and all the vessels of the ministry. And almost all things are by the law purged with blood, and without shedding of blood is no remission which is forgiveness. It's temporary, but it's still the same idea. Okay. So remission, the only difference between forgiveness and remission is remission is temporary, forgiveness is permanent. 
Okay. So until Christ came, there could really be no forgiveness because he is the true sacrifice. But up to that point, animals were sacrificed and you got remission. Okay. Which meant God wouldn't kill you that year. I was just going to be like, well, that's nice to know. <clears throat> and that's how the law worked when you think about it. Sacrifices were probably offered even before the law every year because it covered your sins for the year. Okay. You would have a sacrifice at the end of the year representing remission of sins for all those transgressions for that year. And then you'd do another one each year because the blood we'll see of animals was never going to remove sins, but it was symbolic of what would come eventually. It was a shadow of things to come. So Cain and Abel would have been taught to offer sacrifices by their father. Now, in the same book of Hebrews, if we go to chapter 10, we read this. For the law having a shadow of good things to come, and not the very image of those things, can never with those sacrifices which they offered year by year continually make the comers thereunto perfect. In other words, you can never be perfected through animal sacrifices. Mm -hmm. If you could then, he says, for then would they not have ceased to be offered? If one of those animals could have purged you of all your sins, then that would have been the last one you had to give. Because that the worshipers once purged should have had no more conscious of sins. But in those sacrifices, there is a remembrance again made of sins every year. Hence the reason for yearly sacrifices. Mm -hmm. And here's why, verse 4, for it is not possible that the blood of bulls and of goats should take away sins. Why is that? Because it was only good for remission. Okay. The only thing that could take away sins was going to be the one perfect sacrifice that could remove sins forever. And that would be Jesus Christ, who incidentally was referred to as the Lamb of God. Okay. So when we talk about these animals killed for coats of skins, wouldn't surprise me if they were little male lambs. Now, why male lambs? Because Jesus Christ was a male. Okay. And they were also without spot or blemish. No, it was perfectly one color. Whether they were brown or black or white sheep, they had to be no spots on them. Okay. Okay. Because sheep are different colors, you know. But whichever one they offered had to be without a blemish and no patch no spots, no uh, wounds or markings of any kind. And again, that's typical of Christ who knew no sin, right? Perfectly whole. So when you think about the sacrifices under the law, we find out there was a specific order in which it was done. The person who was the sinner that needed the sacrifice to be offered on their behalf would bring the animal. And it was usually the head of the household. So it would be like okay. the father of a, of a family. And he brought the lamb, which they would have raised. Their children would have known it as a pet, right? <laughs> and when he brought that little innocent lamb, he would bring it to the priest and he would lay his hands on the head of the animal, indicating the transferring of his sin onto that little innocent animal that never sinned. Once that was done, the priest would then take the animal and slit his throat. And they would drain the blood of the animal in a bowl and catch it. And then things were done with the animal, which we'll read about in just a moment, to burn it on a sacrifice, to burn it on the altar. Okay. Aww. So it was actually cooked. It was actually killed and roasted. Okay. And then the blood was taken then and sprinkled a certain way, which had the effect ultimately in the end of the year for the whole nation. When the high priest went into the temple, it covered the law which was inside that box called the Ark. Okay. The Ark of the Covenant, not Noah's Ark, but the little inside mm -hmm. the temple. 
And uh, it had the cherubs with their wings, you know, covering it on the lid. And it had the effect of covering the law so God couldn't condemn them and put them to death for that year. Okay? So the animal sacrifices were done, but they could never take away sins. Now, here's why. If we go down to verse 11 of the same chapter of Hebrews 10. And every priest under the law standeth daily ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. That's why remission is an important word because if remission could take away sins, it would be forgiveness, Mm -hmm. but it's not. So these sacrifices can never take away sins, but this man, and in the context, he's talking about Jesus. After he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God from henceforth expecting till his enemies be made his footstool. For by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. So the offering Jesus Christ gave was himself, which is why John said, Behold the Lamb of God. Mm-hmm. We'll see that in a minute. So the Lamb is a type of Jesus Christ, Okay. which is why he's called the Lamb of God. So when we get back to what, what Hebrews was talking about here started in the books of the law. So we can go to the book of Leviticus. Now, did it did they have to sacrifice a certain animal or could it have been any Certain animals were required. Okay. And they had conditions for say let's say a, a family could be too poor to afford a lamb. So they were given the um, exclusion to be able to offer like two turtle doves. Okay. Or something like that, two pigeons, whatever. Interestingly enough, you know, um, sacrifices were offered for a lot of different reasons. There were peace offerings, there were sin offerings, there were all kind of stuff. And remember we talked about circumcision and the baby, eight, de- eight days old, was yes. circumcised? Well, when the child was offered for circumcision, that same family was supposed to bring a lamb for an offering as well. If they were too poor, they could bring two turtle doves. When Joseph and Mary brought Jesus into the world, they brought him into the temple on the eighth day, and he was circumcised. Guess what they offered as a sacrifice? Two turtle doves. Now, why two? Oh, because they were poor. They were poor. Okay. They didn't have a place to stay. That's why they were out in the manger, right? That's right. Okay, okay. Which tells me something that you'll find kind of fascinating, too. So remember the three kings? Yes. And the gifts they brought? Yes. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Mm-hmm. If the day Jesus was born, they showed up with gold, Joseph would have bought a lamb and sacrificed the lamb on the eighth day for his son's circumcision. But they were too poor, they only brought two turtle doves. So what does that tell you about the gifts? They didn't have them yet. The nativity scene is anachronistically wrong. Mine just blown. <laughs> Isn't that something? Yeah. The, the three kings didn't show up till he was two years old, living back in Bethlehem. Oh, well, they were real late. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and you really want to get blown when we start talking about the star they saw. It wasn't a star in the sky. It was an angel. Oh, my lantern. <laughs> and they <laughs> followed that angel. That's what happened. Yeah, so we'll talk about that another time. <laughs> The Bible is so cool. So Leviticus chapter 1 is such an interesting verse because it starts right off the bat, the first chapter, with if you bring a sacrifice. So verse 2, speak unto the children of Israel and say unto them, if any man of you bring an offering unto the Lord, you shall bring your offering of the cattle, even of the herd and of the flock. 
So cattle was a broad word for any type of livestock. Sheep are livestock, goats are livestock, cows are livestock, right? Mm-hmm. So the herd would have been cows or steers or whatever, and flock would have been sheep. I think goats might be a flock too, if I'm not mistaken. And so it says, if his offering be a burnt sacrifice of the herd, let him offer a male without blemish. He shall offer it of his own voluntary will at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation before the Lord, which meant that you could be living your life and one day go, oh man, I really messed up last night. (laughs) (laughs) I should not have done that. I'm convicted. I'm going to go offer a sacrifice. So you could go to the temple and have that taken care of. Okay. Sort of like confession in Mm -hmm. a way. All right. And verse four, he shall put his hand upon the head of the burnt offering and it shall be accepted for him to make atonement for him. And he, uh, he shall kill the bullock before the Lord. A bullock is a young bull. Okay. Okay. And the priests, Aaron's sons shall bring the blood and sprinkle the blood round about upon the altar that is by the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. So we talked about that much already. Now you're getting the picture, right? Okay. And he shall flay cut in pieces the burnt offering, and cut it into his pieces. And the sons of Aaron, the priest, shall put fire upon the altar and lay the wood in order upon the fire. And the priest, Aaron's son, shall lay the parts, the head, and the fat in order upon the wood that is on the fire, which is upon the altar. But his inwards, which are the, the, the insides, the, the organs, and his legs shall he wash in water. And the priest shall burn all on the altar to be a burnt sacrifice, an offering made by fire, and of a sweet savor unto the Lord. Now, not sweet savor just because it would have smelled like wonderful barbecue, uh-huh. you know, but because God was pleased that they did the sacrifice and they offered of their own voluntary will a sin offering because they felt like they needed to do it, you know, and that pleased God. And if his offering be of the flocks, namely of the sheep or of the goats for a burnt offering, he shall bring in a male without blemish. He shall kill it on the side of the altar northward before the Lord and the priests, Aaron's son, shall sprinkle his blood round about upon the altar. So you get the idea that these sacrifices were done all the time and for the nation every year. Okay. Okay. Now you might remember in Genesis 22, we talked about Abraham offering his son, Isaac. Yes. And he was like, they were walking away with no sacrifice. Mm-hmm. Isaac spake unto Abraham, his father in Genesis 22, seven, Seven, and said, my father, he said, here am I, my son. He said, behold, the fire and the wood, but where's the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, my son, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. And so we know that that was a prophecy of Jesus Christ. Yes. Who would become that lamb uh, in Hebrews 8. And we're going to try to wrap this up because I want to keep this in a good orderly time here. (laughs) Hebrews 8, verse 1. Now, of the things which we have spoken, this is the sum. We have such an high priest, Jesus, who is set on the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens. He's at God's right hand. A minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle, which the Lord pitched and not man. What Moses had built as the tabernacle was, not, was a picture of the one in heaven where God is. Mm-hmm. For every high priest is ordained to offer gifts and sacrifices, whereof it is of necessity that this man have somewhat also to offer. So if Jesus is a priest, in this case the high priest, he's got to have a sacrifice to offer if he goes into that sanctuary, right? Right. So for if he were on earth, he should not be a priest, seeing that there are priests that offer gifts according to the law. And that has to do with the fact that the priesthood always came from the tribe of Levi, but Jesus was not from the tribe of Levi. He was from the tribe of Judah. 
So he legally could not be a priest under the Old Testament law. That's why the New Testament had to be created, right? Because he's of a a different order of priesthood, right? Mm -hmm. And he says that they offer gifts according to the law who serve under the example and shadow of heavenly things. So everything they did on the earth was a picture of that which is in heaven. So when Christ died, he's the true lamb, the true sacrifice. When he went into the sanctuary, he went into heaven, the true sanctuary, where God sits, right? Okay. That's the reason why in John chapter 1, John the Baptist, when he saw Jesus, he cried out and said, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. Adam's sacrifice was a lamb. God did it. God made Adam touch that lamb's head, and Eve too, probably, Mm -hmm. and transmitted their transgression. And that day, the day they sinned, a lamb died in their place. And then, as if to remind them of their offense every single day, he took the skins of those lambs, because there would have been more than one. There would have been at least two, Mm -hmm. you know, and possibly more. Uh, More likely, it would have been seven since seven is a number of completion. Yes. You know, uh, when Noah came on the other side of the flood, he offered seven lambs, you know. So it's probably seven, but whatever it was, from those skins, God made them those coats. And every day they put those clothes on, they were reminded. I know. A bunch of innocent animals. And every time they did a sacrifice, every year they would have been reminded Mm -hmm. and they would have taught their sons to do the same thing. Yes. Okay. So we'll talk a little bit more next week about the idea that some present, which is, well, Adam died at 930 years old, so he died before the day ended. Because we're going to talk about a thousand-year day. But was it the day in which Adam lived or was it something else? I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that'll be next week's podcast, so I encourage you to tune in, and we'll talk about that then. Yes, thank you guys so much for listening. If you enjoy our podcast, please give it a like, a share, and subscribe. And stay safe out there if you are in Texas or if you're in any winter blizzard (laughs) that you are not used to. That's right. This was definitely an unexpected thing for us. But, you know, I hear that we're actually, you know, a lot of people talk about the world's getting warmer. Mm-hmm. A lot of scientists say, no, we're about to head into an ice age, so we might see more of these winters. I think I'll pass. <laughs> <laughs> well, either way, stay warm. And, Zena, thank you as always. Thank you for having me. You guys stay safe and have a good week. Bye, guys. Thank you for listening today. If you like what you heard, please subscribe to Bible Mysteries and share it with a friend. If you want to learn more, you can go to Unlock the Bible Now. That's utbnow.com. Thanks again for listening, and don't forget to subscribe to Bible Mysteries Premium Podcast. You can even gift a subscription to a friend. That's right. Remember, just go to BibleMysteries.Supercast.com to join and help us expose the satanic global elite, or make a tax-deductible donation at utbnow.com. We need your help to fight the global censorship of the truth. Thanks for your support.